everyone and welcome to the latest edition of DF Direct Weekly, number 56 by my reckoning. It's our weekly show where we discuss the latest gaming and technology news and uh, this week will be quite interesting because there was a lack of gaming and technology news. <laughs> so we're going to be finding our way on this one. Uh, if we were on TV we'd be doing a rerun, let's put it that way. Uh, first of all, joining me, John Lidderman. I think we could do more of a clip show one of these days, you know? Oh, of course, yeah. Uh-huh. I think there's some great moments in there. Absolutely. And uh, Alex Battaglia, are you ready for the DFR equivalent of uh, Shades of Grey from Star Trek The Next Generation? I was going to say, uh, we've already run a clip show once before, I'm pretty sure. So we're already half it. our way there. Yeah, every- <laughs> was Which is, awesome, you know, though. very, very that relevant. That's awesome. I do recommend checking um, it out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I cannot wait to talk about at least one of the news items here. Uh, so let's get to it. Yeah, We've scraped the barrel here. I mean, to be fair, I am being somewhat... Uh, I am exaggerating somewhat because there was a huge Unreal Engine 5 reveal this week. And uh, there is some stuff that we want to talk about there. And there's a couple of interesting snippets and announcements that we've really got to cover and we're quite excited about. But first of all, a mystery. Um, and this is indeed our first news topic. An insider build of Minecraft for Xbox Series consoles uh, kind of made its way out into the wild when it shouldn't have. And it featured hardware accelerated ray tracing. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, there were glorious couple of days where unfortunately we were busy so we couldn't look at it <laughs> but uh, yes hardware RT was available on Xbox series consoles seems to be a somewhat convoluted method of actually accessing it uh, you had to connect to a PC user running the RT version of Minecraft to get the various assets downloaded but then you could actually play RT Minecraft on Xbox a couple of days later just withdrawn Microsoft said it was a mistake Going to go to you for this one first, Alex. Uh, yeah, this one I find really sad because oh. we've <laughs> I heard seen... your sigh there, John. Yeah, yeah, John, the audible sigh. I am sad. Um, you know, we, we've seen this. So. We've seen it. Yeah, we saw it, like, you know, two it. years ago at this point. It's, it yep. exists. It is a thing. We're still not getting it, it publicly. I mean, other than the, what, it was like unlocked up to 60 last time. Other than that issue, like when they, you guys initially saw it in person, uh, it seemed like it was pretty much there, right? And so it, it just kind of sneaks out of nowhere. Uh, and then they put out a statement, remove the ability to do this and say that, you know, this doesn't have any bearing on like the future release of this um, this version of Minecraft. And I found that uh, like, I just found like, what the heck is the purpose <laughs> uh, of all this? Uh, it's a really cool thing on PC. We've covered it before. Um, it looks gorgeous. Uh, it's a little bit convoluted, I would also say, on PC to get it working because you also have to download the resource packs for it separately. It's not like default there. So I think there's some changes there that they could also do on PC, but it's just really cool. And it shows off the power of the Xbox Series X really well, I would say. I mean, sure, it's heavy, um, but you know, on PC, there were things there like DLSS. And if you didn't have uh, an RTX card, you could enable that upscaling option to get TAAU, for example, which, you know, a different quality level, but it was there. So I'm just really surprised that they're not committing to this at all after two years. I, I mean, I don't know what your takes are on it necessarily, but the fact that it's th- like, why aren't they just unleashing this? <laughs> why? We saw it and this demo based on footage out there suggests that it works extremely well on the Xbox Series X. My best 
guess is that so there's two things first of all minecraft doesn't have a great history of actually updating its games i think one of our questions here mentions it as well basically they had promised stuff for the xbox one x that never happened um and so you know i'm not that surprised that they've taken the same approach here at the same time i mean tell me what you guys think of this it does seem like they may want parity with series s because you could do this on Series S as well, but the frame rate was very low uh, in this version, right? And, you know, I don't see that as a problem. There's been a number of games released that have ray tracing features on Xbox Series X, but not Series S. But maybe they're unwilling to do that. I mean, I think it might be possible on Series S if they lowered the resolution enough. I mean, you were saying, Alex, like, if you drop it to 480p uh, and cap it at 30 it might actually work, right? Sure, it's Minecraft, right? Yeah. It like, is Minecraft, but it is path-based on Minecraft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not an unsubstantial undertaking to run that on Xbox sure. Series S in a world where a lot of developers are just looking at RT on Series S and saying, nope. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is one of these crazy mysteries, right? And that question you were talk talking about, John, from uh, supporter James Spychalski, why do you think Minecraft seemingly doesn't care about Minecraft? Why do you think Minecraft, Minecraft, Minecraft performance slash features on their own console? It's arguably the biggest IP they own, yet we are still running base Xbox One code on the Series X. They promised 4K support on the Xbox One X almost five years ago and still nothing has materialized. I have run Minecraft at 4K on some pretty old GPUs without much issue. So, you know, that, that is kind of damning, isn't it? Um, and um, yeah, I mean, maybe there is a, a, an argument that they want to have parity with Series S. Maybe it is the fact that it isn't actually the standard game that's running with RT, right? It's, it's like an offshoot with packs, bespoke levels, right? But even, even so, you know, this was uh, demonstrated to us two years ago in a pretty you know not far off shippable state by the look of it and uh, it was running okay on series uh, x i mean i guess some kind of smart upscaling option to to bring it to 4k because it was running at 1080p would have would have been welcome and, but that was pretty much the only sort of stumbling block i think and uh, you know technology has emerged i mean it's not as if minecraft as a game is difficult to upscale just by its inherent nature, right? So, yeah, a bit of a mystery there, and I don't know. The thing about this is, I always see people talking about, joking on the fact that it's Minecraft, uh, and it's like, why would it run slow, you know? But again, as you said before, we have to reiterate, this is path tracing, right? This isn't just, this is, this is seriously demanding stuff. Uh, even though the visuals themselves, like the assets in the game may appear simple, what that entails is extremely heavy uh, on graphics hardware, uh, especially you know that's that's a t that's a lot to ask for a console. It's the same reason why something like Quake Two RTX is also pretty heavy, or quite heavy actually. Still, um, you know th those features don't come cheap, and there's obviously a lot you can do with just ray tracing in general. That's not nearly as demanding as this, but uh, I do think it would be really cool to have an example of a path traced game available officially on a console. And it feels like something Microsoft could trumpet as a, you know, 
something that they have on Xbox that you don't get anywhere else. You know what I mean? I, I wonder if this is uh, maybe not due to the fact that it doesn't run uh, by default well on Series S, but the fact that Minecraft is a game of creation and I would say like internal sharing of levels and things. And maybe there's some sort of explosive um, potential there for performance that they want to avoid. For example, you can like pile up a bunch of TNT on a map uh, and things like that. Or you can have very dense areas, even with a low chunk distance and things like that. And they, maybe that causes issues with memory. I'm, I'm not, I'm just trying to, you know, theoretically say why the heck they wouldn't do this, but it seems so obvious <laughs> that I'm not sure why. So maybe it's just like, um, uh, our Patreon supporter says here that they just are really bad at committing to updating their, their console versions of this game. You know who else is bad at updating their console versions? Roblox. It's it's also running basically the one the original Xbox One code on there, so 1080p. I mean, you get frame rate benefits big time, uh, but <laughs> other than that, you know, come on. Is is this like the equivalent of like Team Fortress Two from the orange uh, uh, box that is still on you know like the original Xbox 360 code? They never updated that. Yeah. How, how else are you gonna play JTO at 4K? Come on. Exactly. Let's talk about. <laughs> So yeah, this is one of these stories that kind of we uh, didn't expect it to happen and it kind of was withdrawn before we could do anything about it because I know you were quite excited to take a look at it, Alex, but uh, you had projects of your own to investigate. So yeah, this was a bit of a disappointment, but um, I think all the more disappointing that we never got hands-on with it, but, but there we go. Okay, so let's move on to the next topic. Out of nowhere, a couple of days ago, uh, Remedy and Rockstar announced that Max Payne 1 and 2 are going to be remade and it's going to be a proper full remake featuring the north light engine as seen in controlled so alex one of your well i guess it's one of your favorite franchises of your one of your favorite engines you must be uh quote unquote pumped for this one <laughs> I'm super pumped, uh, mainly uh, because I like it, first of all, being back at Remedy, Max Payne uh, wandered over uh, to being Rockstar's production. Uh, and uh, Max Payne over. 3, Max, yeah, yeah, it just like drunkenly stumbled into the door <laughs> of Rockstar. Um, and, you know, that game, Max Payne 3, has its critics, has people who love it. I'm like in the middle. I kind of don't like it that much, but I do enjoy some things in it. Uh, like the music, the music is really good. Um, but then, you know, the, the original flavor of Max Payne, that original, you know, noir comic style uh, with the, the quirky writing and, you know, the bizarre fourth wall moments and all these things, that was really a remedy thing. That was, that's kind of how their games are. And seeing it go back to that kind of style with a remake, I mean, remakes are one thing or another. They're not always necessary. Resident Evil 3 remake is one I always think about regarding that. Um, but I think they'll do an amazing job with it. And I'm really, really happy to see that it is not using Unreal Engine, to see that it's using in-engine Northlight uh, stuff there, uh, because Northlight, I think, does some amazing thing and has some incredible scaling potential. And I think I imagine they're just going to keep iterating on it for the future. Um, so it's going to look amazing whenever this may come out. I'm just really curious what they're going to do uh, for the character model, because, you know, Max Payne 2 was like a custom character, uh, but Max Payne 1 is literally, you know, you can show him on screen, Audi. <laughs> uh, Max Payne 1, you know, it's just like that scanned photo of... Um, Sam what's Lake. This, what's the, 
Sam Lake, exactly. So I'm really curious how they're going to handle the character model in this remake. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on this? I think from my perspective, um, the gameplay needs a, a complete revamp because uh, it's very much of its time, the bullet time stuff. I'm going to be really curious to see how they re- uh, produce a new take on that. What are your thoughts? I think they're going to have to, I mean, by the term remake, they're definitely going to have to go that far. Like this is not one of those, it's not like an Alan Wake situation where you can kind of update the originals. Yeah, you can't remaster the, no. <laughs> the old Mm-mm. game, can you? The, this is going to need to be completely redone from scratch. A lot of changes are going to be need to be made to the core gameplay mechanics. Um and I think there's a lot of potential there because Remedy as a studio has grown a lot since then. Their gunplay has improved a lot. Uh, I know people love to give it a rough time, but I actually think Quantum Break plays extremely well. Uh, and, you know, the stuff that they've done since then could really be applied to Max Payne. And I am curious, like you said, Alex, about what they're going to do with the design because I'd imagine the idea here would be to unify it so that you know, you don't have two different looking games, right? Because the first two were separated by like three years or so and technology evolved. Uh, Max Payne 2 also got the addition of uh, physics, which was interesting. It was one of those early games with that. Um, so it's it's going to be tricky in that sense to see what they actually do with it. But I think the engine Northlight is very capable. I, you know, just if, even if they don't update it significantly, if it's just essentially what was shipped in control, sort of like built upon that, uh, I think it can be an absolutely beautiful game with, um, and you know, I, I love Max Payne as well. I, I, I also be curious to see what they do with the story sequences though, because the originals were known for those, uh, graphic novel style sequences, right? And I would think they'd want to stick with that but i it's hard to say whether people are as accepting of that now uh questions like that need to be answered and i'll be curious to see what they do there and there's you know like the uh the weird maze sequences are as well the the dreams they require an intense rework because you know like the original time they were trying to be trippy at that era with that level of technology and as we've seen in control, they actually have an incredible way to manipulate environments and perspective. Um, so I would really love to see that built into these dream sequences as well. I'd love to see a reworking on par with the Resident Evil 2 remake, not 3. The 2 remake is phenomenal and I think perfectly reimagines what that game was, the essence of Resident Evil 2, and then updates it in some major ways. And I think that that is the type, that's the level of update I'd like to see with Max Payne. So hopefully uh, that's what we get. We'll see though. <laughs> Alex, is there anything you'd like to see added to the Northlight engine? Bearing in mind it is being deployed on a range of projects now. Um, thankfully, they haven't fully gone down the Unreal Engine route. Yeah, thankfully. Um, <laughs> I would like to see, uh, so Max Payne is all about, um, like, especially Max Payne 2, I would say like the it's kind of like mini fear in that way. There's like these like particle effects and explosions and like glass breaking and, you know, ragdolls, ragdolling. All of that really needs to be captured in the lighting model. And Control's uh, lighting model is really good, but some things are not captured in the ray trace reflections. Uh, for example, you only get like geometric particles captured in ray trace reflections and not smoke particles and things like that. So I'd really love to see them uh, introduce the reflection of particles in, uh, into the ray tracing, which 
really would have helped control, honestly, as well, too, because that game has intense particle effects, but it's almost necessary for these cramped, smaller environments that you find in Max Payne 1 and Max Payne 2. Max Payne, though, uses much more sort of like matte materials. There's a lot of bricks and, and you know, wallpaper, and uh, it's not shiny. Like, the brutalist architecture of Control, they put shiny surfaces everywhere, and I don't think we're going to see nearly as much in this one so it'll probably be a more subtle usage of ray traced reflections well maybe they don't need any extensions then then what they should probably focus on is then the physical interaction stuff which i think they'd nailed in control uh and it's probably why the last gen versions run like doo-doo um so uh uh you know that that would be really awesome to see in uh max Payne as well i'd like to see i mean just sort of <laughs> stuff that other engines have done which Remedy hasn't really touched. I think their TAA uh, solution needs a bit of a revamp. Possibly, possibly DRS. Um, we saw there was actually a lot of overhead in control on consoles, which were at 1440p, but you know, turn on that photo mode and it's in the 40s to 50s. That's a lot of GPU power that's not being used. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential here and I'm just really happy to see further commitment to the uh, to the Northlight engine. Final question though, uh, Sam Lake for both games, new model, yay or nay? I'm saying yes. John? I want to see Remedy's take on metahumans with Sam Lake as the key <laughs> model, so... <laughs> It can't be anyone else, though, really, can it, Alex? No. I don't think no, it really can. It it's, like, be. so iconic and stupid and great. And he, he's a good-looking guy. Just put him yeah, in the game, is. for Christ's sake. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess my question there is, where does that leave Max Payne 3? Do they just not remake it? Do they remake, <laughs> do they remake it in, in the image of a Remedy game? Because it's not, certainly not a Remedy game, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> you know, Max Payne 3 could use a remaster more than a remake, I think, mainly because it relies so heavily on those cinema scenes and they're pretty grimy now. Uh, it doesn't. It does not jive well with the rest of the presentation anymore. So I guess the big news story of the week, we've kind of been putting off talking about it, but let's go for it. Uh, the release of Unreal Engine 5. It's now uh, out of early access. It's with developers. There's a huge array of studios that have embraced Unreal Engine 5. And to be frank, when you see stuff like The Matrix Awakens, you can see why. I mean, this is a brand new rendering paradigm, state-of-the-art features across the board, uh, nanite um, uh, sort of super geometry, uh, just looks absolutely phenomenal. Lumen Global Illumination, uh, RT enabled in that now. We've, we saw all of this in The Matrix Awakens, which kind of acted as a stellar preview of all of these features and how they've evolved since we first saw them. Engine is now available. Uh, samples are available to download and experiment with. Um, I still think there are a lot of concerns that we had with UE5 from the beginning and um, Certainly performance-wise, I don't think the new releases actually address too many of those concerns. I did actually have a chat with uh, Epic's Nick Penwarden before the announcement to get a sort of more flavor uh, behind the release of the engine. But first of all, I'm going to go to you, John. Um, thoughts, basically, on where we're at with Unreal Engine 5 in the here and now. We're in an interesting point where there still has yet to be, aside from Fortnite, which isn't really using the features, there has yet to be uh, a game that is shipped that really pushes what Unreal is promising. 
So all the nanite features and the full capabilities of Lumen. Um, the closest thing we have, of course, is that Matrix demo, which is extremely heavy, as we know. Uh, I'll be very curious to see what is done with it in the sense that, you know, we know Unreal Engine 4, for instance, has a lot of uh, performance issues, to say the least, as Alex has covered many times. Most games that ship with Unreal Engine 4, especially on the PC, exhibit some problems that you just kind of accept that, okay, this is just what Unreal Engine does. And I'm curious to see how Unreal Engine 5 behaves, because it is kind of a, you know, a continuation of the work done in 4, right? So I am a little bit worried about the performance side of things, but I have to say, you know, what they're offering is extremely appealing as in, you know, just the, the overall tool set is extremely flexible. And I'm just so impressed with their marketplace setup, uh, the way you can share assets and just obtain mega scan assets. And also they're testing. I, I want to get, check this out. They have that phone app now that lets you actually like essentially use your phone camera to scan assets in your own environment in as like like a mega scan kind of asset uh, obviously it's not as easy as it sounds uh, getting something that doesn't have holes in it or looks super weird seems difficult but i like the potential there of being able to like just make your own sort of pseudo photorealistic looking assets on the fly using tools and even if it doesn't work right away it's sort of like some, you can envision the future of where we're heading, right? Uh, and I think just developers see all these capabilities and it's it's hard to, to compete with this stuff if you're not already deep in there. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I guess the big thing here is, is there any other engine that can actually compete with this sort of flexibility and robust feature set and developer support? Because I think that's what Unreal Engine that's where Unreal Engine shines, right? Because there's a lot of people making games on Unreal now. Epic's support team is massive. Uh, you're not just there on your own. So I, in that sense, I can see why developers have switched. Just the philosophy between, uh, behind UE5 is quite remarkable, which is to say that essentially giving away a state-of-the-art renderer to anybody to use and then, you know, it's not just the, the vendor, it's, it's the whole surrounding workflow. This is, you know, the tools to actually make games. They've democratized um, super high-end assets with the marketplace. Uh, they've brought all of these features to any developer that wants to use it. And, you know, what we saw in The Matrix Awakens was also a sort of masterpiece of procedural generation. They're saying that anybody could create that city using their procedural generation tools. I mean, this is all pretty amazing stuff. I think from my perspective, um, a lot of the questions we've had with um, Nanite since day one haven't really been answered yet, uh, which is to say skin geometry, non-opaque uh, geometry. You know, <laughs> we've still got the situation where a Witcher game is being developed with Unreal Engine 5, and there doesn't seem to be a solution yet for actually having foliage in the open world. Well, I mean, there is. You can use foliage. It's just not doesn't 
wouldn't necessarily. It's not yeah. part yeah. of nanite. Right. You're, yeah, but... you're paying. You're paying like an extra step there, essentially, yeah, which is it's... like what you don't want. And you're also like you know the the asset making uh, ramifications of that. It's not unified. So it's like what Rich I think is wanting is like they're marketing a holistic solution. Lumen is that. Uh, but Nanite is yet to reach that. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that is the problem because it's basically two separate things at that point. And it definitely increases the demand of what you're doing. <laughs> For sure. Um, and like you're saying, I think like John said, uh, uh, that the these things they're offering and the democratization, as Rich mentioned, like making it uh, good looking characters and ones that are like properly rigged is like something that development studios put, you know, millions of dollars into and then they're just shipping metahumans, which, you know, this universal rigging, it's not perfect or something like that. But as we saw in the Matrix Awakens demo with the third character that's sitting between Neo uh, and uh, Trinity there, it's a very attractive character model that's animating extremely well. You know, these are things that you would be spending tons of time just to research, let alone get a production sample in. And there it is. Um, so that's like the competitive angle. And I understand that. At the same time, uh, I think... Other engines are going to be competing now in a different fashion because, as I see it, all the tech that they're um, proselytizing or whatever they're you know they're saying this is what it does, this is what it does, this is what you can get out of Unreal Engine. It's all targeting 30 FPS on console, and I don't like that honestly. I, I do like 60 FPS games quite a bit, a lot actually. I think we all do. Um, so I think the engines that are going to be competing with it, and the reason why a lot of developers are going to be going for their own unique solutions and their own tech, is because they actually want to target 60 FPS in some fashion, while maintaining a good visual uh, feature set and things like that. Uh, and we've seen that with, you know, um, Modern Warfare, you know, uh, you know, that uh, the Infinity War engine is incredible for targeting 60 and looking great. Uh, we're going to see id Tech doing that exact same thing. There's no way in hell they're moving to Unreal. Um, you know, so, you know, I think there's still a place out there for other engines. Um, at the same time, as a part of this announcement, uh, we saw some, you know, really big heavy hitters, I would say, in the tech department saying they're switching over to Unreal. CD Project Red, as we talked about, but also now uh, Crystal Dynamics with uh, the next Tomb Raider game, uh, whatever it may be. I have no idea what that is. Uh, they haven't really said much about it, other than the fact that they are going to use Unreal Engine Five, uh, which I want to pour one out right now for the uh, for the Foundation Engine. Come, uh, I think it, you know it started off in a weird place. I don't think the original Tomb Raider reboot is a very attractive-looking game in many ways. Oh, well, for the time, um, it was good-looking, but yeah, it, it was fine. I just thought maybe that's an artistic question. Uh, but uh, yeah, the but the the sequel after that is incredible looking and it ran on xbox one which as we know is not the best of the machines out there and had so many cool feature set avengers took it to a level that is on a decked out pc or even just a mid-spec pc you have an incredible looking game the xbox series x version of that the playstation 5 version of that all really good utilizes direct storage utilizes that you know fast decompression on playstation 5 runs like a dream i would say looks great, doesn't have stutters, and they're moving to Unreal. So it's a big unknown there. Um, I, I hope it pays out for them, uh, to say the least. I mean, on the face of it, when you see the uh, Valley of the Ancient demo and uh, the first one, uh, Lumen in the Land of Nanite, I believe it was called, you can kind of 
see, you know, if you were creating a Tomb Raider game, hey, this could be a pretty good fit. I mean, it would be pretty phenomenal in terms of the actual tombs, right? But at the same time, you know, again, similar to CD Projekt Red on the Red Engine, we're seeing a really good engine basically being mothballed in favour of Unreal. And um, I can see that, obviously, just like CD Projekt Red, I can see the advantages there. But at the same time, disappointing that that technology is is basically a thing of the past. And that's the problem is once the, it feels like once you make a switch like this, there's no going back, right? Like the, the engine is forever mothballed. Uh, I can more understand in the case of Cyberpunk, I guess, because I'd imagine that engine has incurred a significant amount of tech debt in getting to the finish line that would make sort of rebuilding it, you know, expensive and time consuming. Uh, but I feel like Foundation Engine, I don't know, I mean, at least what I've heard from talking to various people, it sounded like it was in a really good spot. So I'm a little bit surprised that they've decided to shift like this because it's probably the end of it then. Like, it's just, it's over. And uh, that that's sad. <laughs> there was nothing revealed. It seemed to be another one of those game announcements similar to the, uh, the next Witcher title where almost like a job ad. Uh, going out, which is, hey, we're, we're making the new Tomb Raider game. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, spots that need filling. Join us. I saw one of the leads <laughs> from Days Gone went over there to right. work oh, on wow. this game, okay. which is interesting. It's yeah. pretty sensible. Um, another uh, studio that announced that it's using UE5 with, I would say, this was pretty expected with Splash Damage uh, working on their next projects in UE5. Uh, you know, they worked on Gears Tactics as well as they've made Enemy Territory Quake Wars so Quake, and all these Quake really Wars 2. Quake Wars, yeah, incredible games, uh, I would say, in their own right. Uh, but they're moving the, well, they're going to be using UE5, and there's probably going to be many other studios in the, next six months that are going to just say, yeah, we're done with this. We're using UE5 now, um, which I can understand, but I'm always saddened by that lack of diversity because if you look back at it, there's a lot of research that came out of using these engines, uh, these you know, uh, custom engines uh, for specific games that was then uh, turned into best practice elsewhere. And having that that engine that you know that what do they say mother of ingenuity you know like this the like the fact that these are trying to create very hard systems for a specific game and it has this level of ingenuity to it that may disappear if everyone's just using unreal in the future and that's one thing i'm a little worried about like the lack of innovation that could occur over time i know they're going to keep iterating on unreal to levels that will just wow us. But, you know, that competitive aspect of another engine and another set of minds creating something completely different, you know, that's going to be gone, maybe. Well, we've seen, um, we haven't had a chance because uh, Alex has been busy, basically, to, to compile, compile. I mean, there's a sample game out called Lyra and there is uh, the Matrix Awakens Cityscape that is available. It's a project that you can download, you can compile it yourself on UE5 and then uh, you can um, export it and uh, performance isn't great it's it's problematic based on what I've seen so far even with the relatively simple Lyra game I mean my perspective I mean again I did speak to Epic before the, uh, the announcement uh, my perspective is on this that UE5 is still um, I mean it's shipped but it's still far from its final optimal state and there's still a lot of work to do. I mean, we were talking about 
you know, foliage in nanite. I mean, you know, that's that's a problem that's still got to be solved. Um, and uh, and I guess this is why the CD Project Red um, collaboration ultimately will end up being a good thing for Epic and everybody else that is using the engine because you know a lot of these problems simply must be solved. Uh, solved. And Alex, I have I, I bring you news of the stutter struggle hashtag. Oh, oh good. I yeah. did. I did speak to uh, to Epic, and I asked them about the uh, PSO slash shader compilation issues, and um, they do recognise it's a problem, and you know they are trying to do something about it. They did point out that Fortnite actually pre-compiles shaders, as you would expect, really, um, but it's got to be rolled out as best practice. I don't know if there's anything they can do in the engine to to address this. I think just like the export button needs like a warning sign if you export to Windows X64 environment uh, that this, you know, what you're exporting, like, I think we've talked about this before, but like the, what, the things that QA gets uh, to test their game uh, may be different than what is actually uh, being put out on Steam or the Epic Game Store in terms of what how the EXE is prepared. Uh, so, like, that's something I think they need to just they need to have like a warning sign or at least a really good portion of their website that says if you're exporting things for PC to really look out for this issue because it blindsided the devs uh, working on the ascent. They almost had no visibility about it before the game released, which is interesting um, to say the least. Um, so. Um, that points to, in my mind at least, and the fact that we see it happening so often, I just think there's just like not enough visibility when you're exporting your project that there isn't, there, there could be some big issues for performance unless you do some things. Uh, and I looked up, uh, cause I'm gonna be playing with UE5, I'm gonna be covering it. I'm gonna look at this release, like my idea is, you know, I'm gonna look at uh, Valley of the Ancients exported in the new engine to see uh, performance differences across the hardware that I tested last time, which is interesting in its own right. Uh, but I also kind of maybe as part of this video want to point out how it is not exactly an easy procedure to get rid of stuttering in Unreal Engine because I looked at the PSO uh, creation <laughs> thing on their website and let me just say it is not exactly easy to get uh, all those PSOs cached. Uh, so yeah, that was a maybe point, I'll talk a point about that in the video. By, uh, Nick Penwood yeah. and Epic, he, you know, they're basically the, there are so many iterations that you can't pre-compile them all. You yeah. can't for every single scenario. So no. yeah, that's that is I mean, an issue. This seems like like the kind of stuff that needs to be done earlier in development when creating art assets and the artists should be really like kind of, I don't know, like I, I understand this is what one of the key things behind id tech seven is that they're very careful about how assets are created, which shaders they're using all the permutations and they try to limit this stuff and you're kind of working within those kind of constraints, but, uh, it's all about making sure that things don't get out of hand because there's a certain point where it feels like if you've made too much, uh, walking that back is very difficult and it can be tough to fix the issues from there. I'm honestly not sure if it's possible in Unreal Engine due to the way their material system functions. Like it's so mix and match and you can just like, you can just drop textures in wherever you want almost. That's the thing about the materials is just, you know, you make these crazy blueprints with all the different like links to everything and you just get all this stuff in a project. And I think fundamentally, I'm not sure how they could do that in a way that isn't somewhat slow in that regard, doesn't require that extra step. 
but certainly, you know, there are big issues and, and uh, challenges still ahead with UE5. But I kind of think, you know, with the brain trust that they've got, <laughs> I mean, you know, the sheer wealth of talent that's at Epic now, it's frankly staggering. And uh, the phrase I think you're referring to earlier, Alex, is uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Thank you. I, I mean, you were, you were looking at another one of your hand foot scenarios. It's there, my right? hand foots. Yeah, it was a hand foot moment. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure that, you know, these games are using Nanite and Lumen. I still think we're looking at sort of, you know, minimum year away from, from shipping uh, for some of these games that have been in development already. I don't know. I'm going to be watching this one with great interest. I'm going to be looking forward to your to your video, Alex. And I think we're going to be giving away the pre-compiled versions of those mm -hmm. samples on the supporter program for those interested. Um, but yeah, I think we can move on now. Well, one more thing, Rich. We have to make this big announcement. Richard Ledbetter is switching to Unreal. That's right. <laughs> Next week, he's going to be all metahuman. Uh, he's completely done in Unreal oh Engine. God. That's the power yeah. of Unreal. Richard is... I would love know. to see that. Well, it would, yeah. it would be amazing. You know, this would solve so many problems. I'm, sign I'm signing up for a license right now. <laughs> this would be incredible. UDF Retro in development. Uh, you've been uh, talking about it on Twitter. It's no secret what you're up to. You're taking a look at uh, the MotorStorm trilogy on PlayStation 3. I'm sure you, people are going to be up in arms saying that it's not retro, uh, but we've kind of we've kind of defined a kind of 10-year uh, sort Cut of off. cutoff. Killzone was done. That's so what I've decided on. I'm looking forward to your GTA 5 <laughs> retrospective next year. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, but let's talk about MotorStorm because um, let's go back all the way to the PlayStation 3 launch. Uh, it wasn't pretty. There wasn't a huge amount of quality software. Xbox 360 had been out for a year. And, you know, there were very few titles that made you think PlayStation 3 could compete against Xbox 360. From my perspective, MotorStorm was the game, the first game I saw where I thought this is like, truly impressive stuff and can the 360 do this i mean obviously in retrospect we know probably could have but at the time it was it was awesome and, and as you pointed out on twitter it still holds up today yeah that's the thing um so I, i've been in a racing game mood this year and i you know after doing the last retro i was like well i kind of want to do another project similar to that and i really like these MotorStorm games and so loaded it back up and yeah it really holds up like way better than i ever expected uh and i think something i talk about in the video that's really interesting and i, I talked with you about this alex is like this period of time in that 2005 2008 bubble uh it felt like developers were really focusing on like these granular interactions and like physics simulations right where it wasn't just about how the game looked, it was about how everything behaved in the world. And you really feel that they put a lot of work into MotorStorm in that every vehicle, the way it reacts with the terrain, the way they collide with one another, like all the different physics aspects, the suspension system, the tires, you know, the ground deformation system, the way all that stuff works together. Uh, it's just beautiful in motion. Like just everything looks, looks and moves in a way that I feel like a lot of modern racing games don't even match. And it's so it's not even just about the visuals, it's about that interaction. And I feel like that stuff's kind of gone away to some degree. And that's a little bit of a shame, I feel. Um, because, you know, I, I 
I think the big thing is obviously when the PS4 era arrived and they switched to those Jaguar CPUs, stuff like this just became kind of impossibly difficult or just a lot more expensive. I mean, Control used a lot of physics, right? And as you said, it ran very badly on this doo-doo, last John. The technical word was doo-doo. <laughs> That's right. It was doo- It ran like doo-doo. <laughs> exactly. Um, but basically, I wanted to explore the full MotorStorm series, starting with that E3 2005 reveal, um, talking about what the heck that was and it, why. It was a target render. <laughs> but it had nothing to do with the actual studio or the developers working on the game. And it was hold, uh, hold on a second. That's not what Phil Harrison was saying. Exactly. That's talk about throwing your developers under the bus. That's that's pretty much what happened. Um, I mean that that trailer was made by a completely different company, so uh, it was never intended to represent what they were doing. They didn't even have PlayStation Three dev kits at as of E three two thousand five. That didn't happen until later that year. Uh, so it's it was. Clearly a very challenging development, but I'm amazed at what they delivered in the end. And then they went on to do two more main entries, as well as uh, their like satellite studio Big Big did a PSP slash PS2 game, which is quite impressive PS2? and good. Yeah, I didn't PS2 that. version. It's it's oh, wow. missing. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have the physical granularity of the actual PS3 games, but it's pretty good for what it is. There's also the RC game, MotorStorm RC, which is the little overhead radio-controlled car game, which is really cute and fun. But beyond all this, though, I started dabbling in an RPCS3 on the PC, right? And discovered that, hey, there's actually community-made 60 frames per second patches for these games. And so I'm going to be showcasing and talking about the games running at 4K, 60 FPS, with 16xAF, and it's gorgeous, uh, at least for the second and third game, because MotorStorm 1 has a lot of problems on RPCS3 still, unfortunately. Um, there have been some suggestions on how to fix it, but I don't actually believe them, because there's not even one video on YouTube that shows it working completely correctly. So yeah, there's I think a lot of vehicle stutter and stuff, isn't Yeah, there? the physics don't seem to behave correctly. And if you set it, if you're trying to go for 60 FPS and you mess something up with the settings, the physics go even crazier. Like just like you'll just be driving and all of a sudden, like your, your driver just like gets stuck on the scenery and then his like leg gets pulled off the bike and then the bike goes flying and the driver ragdolls. And it's just, it's insane. It's, it's really funny to see it. it. It's not how it should work. Uh, but yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. And the Unreal stuff you mentioned comes in, you know, I'm back to doing green screen backgrounds and doing some other, like, demonstration scenes uh, using, uh, what is it, the Quixel Megascan assets to try to make some cool environments to sit in. Uh, it's, It's fun to try to match that stuff up. So I even set up the virtual camera in there to match the specifications of my actual camera lens here so that... You know, because you can configure the camera lens in Unreal to behave that way in the sequencer. And so I matched the settings so that the focus seems correct and everything and the focal length and all that. And it looks cool. I'm sure uh, Tim Sweeney is going to be in touch demanding his license fees. 
because because we're all millionaires here at Digital. We're Party. obviously making a million. Per video. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this sounds awesome. I'm really looking forward to it because I do have genuine. Uh, affection and nostalgia for for MotorStorm. And I think the audience do too, based on uh, some of the uh, stats you've had on your tweets, John. Wow. Yeah, people are into it. And for good reason. It's awesome. Like, one of the main things about it that I love is just, it's this perfect fusion between track-based racing games, but it has the freedom of open-world racing games, right? Because the tracks are so wide, so tall, and have all these different paths and areas that you can go that you get that freedom, but it's still like carefully crafted as like a very specific track. So it's not just like exploring the open world while driving. It's a really nice thing. It's a nice model. And I'm surprised that nobody else has really tried this, especially like the asymmetric racing aspect of like having all these vehicles interact. Like, you know, that's what makes it so interesting. If you're doing like a, a race on a bike and somebody's driving a semi truck, you want to take those upper areas. But if you land down in the mud pit on the second or third lap, all the ground is torn up. It's like thick mud. It's hard to drive in it. And if the semi runs into you, you're just toast. Uh, it makes it really interesting and exciting, but probably very difficult to balance as well. Okay, so before we move on to the next discussion point, uh, I've got a question here from imaginary DF supporter Hill Parison. And uh, the, question is, <laughs> the question is this. Could the PlayStation 5 produce a game that matches the target vendor of MotorStorm? Uh, I think you could, you could probably okay. do something that looks a lot like that. I think the, the nature of CGI, though, there's still certain things that you could do in CGI that aren't that easy to do in real time. But there's other things that they could do a lot better than that render now. So I suspect you could make something that actually looks better to the eye, but it may not technically match every aspect of that. Yeah, it's kind of like the kill zone thing. Like that was the question I think when John was doing his kill zone video. You know, like there's aspects of that initial kill zone render that are like super dated looking. Um, like when you look at them, but then there's other aspects where I'm like, I don't know if a game could still do that really. Uh, so it's cool. Yeah. And Motorstorm and Killzone are kind of cut from the same cloth in that they're technically not on par with those CG trailers, obviously, but I think aesthetically they kind of end up looking a little bit better, especially with Killzone. I think Killzone 2 itself, the actual game is more, much more artistically pleasing than the, than the actual trailer video went up last week and I was really impressed with it and Alex it was yours it was all about the raid faced version of Doom that appeared so first of all I mean how is this possible secondly it didn't this game didn't have conventional lighting as it is in you know every video game these days so this is kind of like almost an interpretive work really isn't it yeah it's very interesting I um one, I thought it was actually a, an April Fool's joke when I when it initially came out. So because it came out on April first, I think that was the that was the joke. That was the joke. Um, yes, that was the joke. Uh, but it's also like a meme in its own right. Like you know, like what would you really do with ray tracing in Doom? Like just look at the game, right? And uh, that's the interesting part. Um, the game wasn't really developed with modern sensibilities of lighting. I think it has more in common with how you would fake lighting in a game, like a 2D sprite-based game, almost. Uh, where, you know, like where you palette switch and things like that to make things look lighter and darker. Um, and that's really what it's all about. So 
you can't really, it's not like Quake 2 RTX, where Quake 2 RTX uh, already had Quake 2, which had an understanding, the original Quake 2 used baked lighting, and had understandings of bounce light and light coming from surface areas and things like that. It was all pre-calculated uh, for the most part, uh, but you know, you could understand how they could hack ray tracing to do those exact same things to a much higher fidelity, uh, obviously with the concession that they had to remake a lot of textures. It also had uh, real dynamic lights too. So yeah, yeah, right. So like it had like the basis for this thing to be possible. Doom, on the other hand, has no basis there at all, uh, especially since Doom was made uh, uh, different levels made by different people. So there's a different, there's like a complete inconsistency to how assets are used, <laughs> which is something you don't usually see in ga modern games. It's why Doom is one of the most amazing projects ever made. It's just so perfect in all of its flaws as well, too. Um, and, you know, how do you hack in RT there? And the, the, the solution that Sultim came up with was, uh, I think, a very ingenious one where you say, okay, this asset looks like it could give off light. Let's define a surface area or attach a light to it systematically, programmatically, and, you know, spread them all throughout the world. Calculate it for each level. And so when you load up a level, things that look like they would be lights in the original Doom actually now are lights. And that's the conceit. And it works, I would say, in like 65 to 70% of the case. I think it's like actually an interesting conversion visually. It's doing its own thing, obviously. Uh, but then there's like these edge cases where Doom is just doing whatever, man. They just, it was 1993, you know, you ordered pizza in Texas, you know, I don't know that they were staying up light, drinking Diet Coke. I don't know what they were doing, but you know, some levels look very different. And they don't translate as well, I would say, into the ray tracing environment. Um, you know, they have their own flaws. And But at the end of the day, I think this is something where we should really celebrate it uh, because you've had 25 plus years at this point, right? Uh, to play and beat Doom in the original incarnation in the modded incarnations. You can brutal Doom it. You can play Doom PSX. You can you know, play weird versions of Doom that uh, have tons of different sprites and all these other things, but why not also a version that uh, focuses on lighting and things like that? And I think this is what it is. It's being added to the pantheon, to the mythos of Doom, uh, which is larger than life itself, and it's amazing. And I'm really proud that it came out, and I'm happy to see it, and it ran really well, and it's free to download. Uh, I don't know if it works with Shareware Doom. I did not test out Shareware Doom, to be honest with you. Um, but it works with a normal Doom wad, which is pretty easy to get for cheap these days. Uh, so give it a try. And I think you'll have a lot of fun uh, playing through it. Only issue is that it only works on RTX cards. Um, uh, there may be technical reasons for that, but I think it's just because the developer actually doesn't own an AMD card to test it out on. So. That's the unfortunate thing here, but please check out that video. So something I've been noticing on your Twitter likes, Alex. Um, oh yeah. Not, but not those ones. Uh, not those ones. Oh. The, <laughs> the, uh, you've been liking the work of a guy who's translating the sprites in Doom to- Oh, Cheeto, yeah. I love that, yeah. Which I love looks, that. That looks amazing. Could that work here in, uh, in the so RT version? This is this is using PR Boom Plus, which is actually a rather, it's one of the original source ports um, that was updated long over time, and its focus is, focuses primarily on accuracy uh, being uh, hardware rendered, so OpenGL. Um, I think the 
voxel stuff is done for GZ Doom, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so th there would have to be some finagling in there and a way to figure out how to light these voxelized models, but I think it's totally doable. And it would actually fix a lot of the issues, issues, unquote, unquote, issues that I pointed out in the video, like the fact that sprites turn with the camera <laughs> and a lot of the really other funny things uh, that you see in Doom. Uh, I would love to see someone try that out over time, but the best part is it's on GitHub and all that rendering code's out there. So give it a, a year, a month, three months, maybe we'll see something like that. I actually yeah. love how they do the sprite lighting that you showed in your video. That's very, oh, it's uh, cool. that's very yeah. cute and clever. It looks cool. Mm. Yes, you've got to try it out if you've got an RTX card. I'm kind of curious. One more question, Alex, for my own personal interest. Uh, it's got DLSS support, which means they've added motion vectors to Doom. I'm not exactly sure. Like, it makes sense for all the geometry. And, you know, there's level geometry and things like that. Uh, I'm not sure how it's managed for the sprites. It usually works pretty well. Uh, in the video, I show one instance where it doesn't work well. It also doesn't work well on e E1 M2 when the chainsaw comes down, but I didn't show that in the video. Um, so it seems to work, I would say, like 80% of the time. I'm, I'm not sure how they do it, but one thing I really like that, it, that the fact that it added DLSS is it shows that a lot of these open source projects in the future uh, that when they come out can uh, can actually add DLSS in a great way. Serious Sam unfortunately didn't have it. Maybe uh, Soltim will go back and add that now. Uh, Quick Two RTX still doesn't have it, and that, that's apparently a, apparently a licensing it issue. It never will, yeah. Yeah, it may never have it, uh, which is a big shame. Uh, so come on, Nvidia, just open source DLSS at some point. Come on, you know you want to do. Did you see the uh, the special test build of Doom with DLSS, Alex? The AI algorithms, when applied to the sprites, it caused them to look like photorealism. So, like, <laughs> you, you go, you turn it on, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, they're all Sandy Peterson. And it's just like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and then that one over there, this John Romero, and then, you know, the other it's one. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I think yeah. you were a I, week or two late with the April Fool's there, John. I, I turned that off. <laughs> oh, man. That would actually be pretty funny, though, to put, like, photorealistic, super high-res sprites in there. <laughs> I've, I've always wanted to do, like, a post equivalent of Doom uh, in that manner, but uh, never had the time. It's not, it's not that hard to mod Doom, actually. Uh, it's pretty what you see is what you get kind of modding. You could have the Mortal Kombat edition. That'd be awesome. Oh, please. I would love that. Well, should, those sprites are great, You should actually. replace the Doom guy head in the HUD with uh, Sam Lake. And then, like, you know, make it, make it all, like, noir and everything, dark colors. Yeah. Oh, my wow. gosh. Okay, let's draw that one to a close. So, <laughs> uh, let's move on to some supporter Q&A. This is the part of the show where every week we canvas our backers on the Digital Foundry Supports Program to bring forth their questions for us to answer. We choose the best, and here they are. Uh, we're going to start off with a couple of obligatory Steam Deck questions. I mean, they just keep on coming. Um, the first one from Green Swede. Uh, after, after using the Steam Deck for some time now, how do you feel about its LCD display? Mm. Are you satisfied with it? Mm -mm. Or do you still wish Valve went with an OLED option? And do you think it's likely that Valve will announce another upgraded model with OLED in the future? Well, Alex, you've got a Steam Deck. I, I think the screen is probably the, the weakest part of the proposition, really. Um, and I would absolutely have loved to have paid like an extra £50 for an OLED uh, version. don't know what you make. Well, first of all, what do you make of the screen? I mean, 
here it is right here. It's you know, it's, 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 it's fine. I mean, it's the game's loading up it's right black. now. It, oh, there, there's there's up. It's black. Like, like it's, does that look that bad to you? I think it looks fine enough. I mean, right. I've seen a lot better. I've seen a lot better screens, obviously. And the black the point, levels the, the is the thing is that bothers me we've seen a lot better a LCD bit. screens, right? Let's not yeah, let's factor like, out OLED for the moment. You know, it's, it's all right, though. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been playing with it. I think it works a lot better in some games than others. I don't think it's uh, very good in a lot of two D games as much as I would like it to have been. Uh, you know, just LCD issues, unfortunately. I really wish they did offer the the ex more expensive version that Rich is talking about because they offered variations based upon. Uh, you know, uh, the storage medium and the storage capacity, which is good. Um, it's nice that they had those variations. But at the same time, the most obvious one beyond that was the screen, and they seem to have ignored it. Uh, it would have also been amazing to have seen a, a VRR screen because, you know, 60 FPS, if you're playing this plugged in or playing a game uh, where you really want to hit 60 FPS, uh, it would help the ability. It, you wouldn't have to fiddle with settings as much. And it, it was another blind spot in the development of this, or maybe just something that they didn't make in time or didn't have the resources to commit to. Uh, but you know, like, it's fine. I, I, at the end of the day, you're playing games on the go. The quality is already compromised and at a level. It's not, it's not a deal breaker at all. It's definitely not a deal breaker. I mean, VRR, the one thing I'll say about that is that you are CPU limited in a lot of scenarios with Steam Deck, and I'm not sure VRR would 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 be particularly effective in that scenario. GPU-wise, I mean, you know, Death Stranding, you, you know, use some FSR or CAS, and that's that's kind of close to 60. I, I do think probably a, a better option or, or an alternative option would have been a 50 hertz mode. Uh, because a lot of these 60. games where you want to hit 60, you kind of get into like high 40s, 50, almost there. And uh, I think that, I mean, I have suggested that to Valve as an option. I guess the one thing, and they did say they'd look into it, but I guess the, the thing to bear in mind is that if you go you know, install Windows, go to the Linux desktop, I'm not seeing 50 hertz as an option within the OS. So. that It's like, uh, does the Windows driver there also include the custom resu resolution option no, there? I have yet to look. Somebody's hacked the uh, Radeon software to work with the Steam Deck driver, but you don't get the Radeon Adrenaline stuff, which is, oh, no, which is annoying. I mean, yeah, I mean, Windows really is a hostile environment for Steam Deck. There's, you've, you've got the bare minimum of stuff to get a desktop experience working. And, you know, I've had a lot of fun trying hardware RT and stuff, stuff you can't do in SteamOS at the moment. But Windows is not really a good a good solution for, for Steam Deck in the here and now. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the next question. Uh, this one from Sloth, and I think it's one for you, John. Now that the analog pocket is slowly starting to get into more people's hands, what are your thoughts on the device four months on from your initial review? Do you think it will become popular with the homebrew community? Or will some of the scarcity issues we've seen limit the range of third-party carts and programs that might be made specifically for the Pocket if it were more widely available? How are you getting on with the analog Pocket, John? So I actually use that quite regularly because uh, I think I, this is a tricky thing because I actually was someone that does enjoy picking up and playing classic Game Boy games. Like for real, like I actually would do that on real hardware. And this one is exactly what I've been looking for. 
uh, because I was always dissatisfied with the various screen mods. And, you know, I do like the look of the Game Boy, that Game Boy Green, but uh, the original actual screens are very blurry, just as, you know, you expect. So this basically solved that. And as a result, I do regularly use it. I often sit outside on the deck, uh, sipping a little bourbon, playing some Game Boy on there. It's it's a very relaxing time. <laughs> um, and they've they've improved a lot of things. They've improved the GBA scaling. Uh, the dock stuff works a lot better. Uh, but, you know, I've still seen some people have had issues with certain things. I this The case with those flash carts, I'm still not sure what's up with that. Some of them don't seem to work. I know all of mine work, so I'm not sure. Uh, th there was a whole thing with that. That's a tricky situation. So, But I think this is one of those devices where you really have to ask yourself, like, is this actually, like, something that you're into, right? Like, if you're just the type of person that wants a giant list of ROMs and you load up a ROM and play for, like, two minutes and then put it away and say, yeah, that was quaint, then maybe it's not the most, like, useful for you. But, like, as somebody that actually does enjoy revisit revisiting these games, because a lot of Game Boy stuff and, you know, other games, classic handheld games, they're very, like... It's, it's of that, like, era of refinement where they're pick-up-and-play. They're very simple games, but they're quite fun to enjoy, uh, I think. Like a, like a good NES or even a Super NES-style game. And now that... Uh, I guess the other big thing is the sleep mode on the pocket has been, like, a huge deal. I think my, my only real complaint with the hardware at this point is that the cartridge slot thing on the back, the way they have it kind of open like that, which I think was done to help make the adapters possible for other systems it's a little bit easy to bump the cartridge uh in the slot essentially losing your game you know what i mean so like if you're in sleep you put it in your pocket you bump the cartridge and it you know loses your spot there are save states of course but yeah that that is a little bit annoying but that's really my only complaint with it. What about Sloth's question about becoming popular with the homebrew community and the, the scarcity uh, issues? That's really hard to say. I mean, scarcity is is definitely an an issue for sure. But I I don't think it was ever intended to be like a mainstream product. These things usually aren't. Um, with the homebrew community, though, that's tricky because. The people that do this stuff, like working on Mister, they have their they have their own sort of like community, and I think they they're not too keen to get involved with hardware made by like a company like this. You know what I mean? Like they prefer to stick to their own sort of like little circle, uh, and you know the way that the Mister project is sourced and all that. I mean, they're very different things, mind you, because there is no Mister equivalent in the handheld space. But I just I'm not sure that too many of them are that interested in it but i sure hope somebody does something with it because i would like to see some other console cores brought over okay good let's move on to the next question in fact we're going to lump these two together the first one from concrete llama <laughs> how long do you give it before owning a vrr display for current gen consoles becomes a necessity i don't currently have a tv that supports it but feel it's only a matter of time before it becomes like a crutch that all but the most dedicated developers will come to rely on. Slightly worrying outlook. Second question from uh, AC Luda. 
Given the long-awaited upcoming edition of VRR to PS5, do you have any thoughts as to why it took so long for Sony to implement? In the meantime, games like Elden Ring have dropped, which would benefit greatly from this feature. Thanks for the content. Cheers. <laughs> um, uh, you're welcome. Uh, again, John, I'm going to go to you on this one because obviously you're uh, you're a user of VRR on, on Xbox, certainly, and it certainly made the difference with Elden Ring, as AC Luda suggests. Do you think it's going to become a crutch that developers uh, sort of lean on? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think there is a point where we're going to see games shift back down to like 30 FPS, in which case it's not even that useful anymore. But the thing is about VRR that I've... So, friend of the show, uh, Mark Triforce Duddleson, who did uh, from My Life in Gaming, who did that Final Fantasy XIV video, he just got an LG C2 after going from a C7. So we were talking, and he was like, all right, do you have any good examples of stuff that's like VRR uh, that I could really use here on the Xbox to showcase? And we went through his list of games and found, like, the only one that he actually had, and he has a lot of games in there that actually would really, truly benefit was like Final Fantasy 13, like Lightning Returns, running in backwards compatibility mode in a very specific area. And we thought most Xbox games right now, except for like stuff like Elden Ring, run fine, right? Like you don't really need it. The only other example I could think of that was interesting is like Dying Light 2 with that uncapped frame rate mode. Um, so the actual games that really need it aren't that common but it's good to have it because you definitely run into occasional cases like Elden Ring where uh, where it essentially saves the game right and that's when it's useful to have it well I think there have been quite a lot of scenarios on Xbox where it could have been useful um, I mean the most recent one I guess Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin doesn't hit 60 FPS yeah that's and that's unless, a useful one unless weirdly you're, you're playing it on Xbox One X <laughs> which, which is this kind of, earth, kind of bizarre but you um, see it's it's these it's these edge cases where games that are just like have technical issues it's basically used to save them but i don't think like they're worried about i don't think that's going to become the norm you uh you you neglected to talk about biomutant which uh... <laughs> oh yeah john how could you <laughs> I think yeah. you know. They, they, I think also there's a lot of games with 120 hertz mode that kind of lurk in the 90 to 120 range, where I think VR would be awesome. Uh, but to go back to the question, um, we're seeing a lot of mitigation strategies to prevent frame rate drops, right? Uh, for example, dynamic resolution scaling. I think those are the kind of more obvious solutions you go down before you uh, before you start to use VRR as a as a, as a crutch, as it were. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to address performance bottlenecks. Uh, DRS is the obvious uh, one that's kind of been broadly adapted. I think it's a long way. Bef I mean, the other question, of course, is let's say you are in a kind of um, uh, 50, to 50, uh, 50 to 60 frames per second window. A lot of people won't notice. I mean, it's just, it's just us nerds, right, um, in a lot of scenarios. Uh, but then again, it depends how intrusive it is. I mean, uh, if we go back to, what, GT5 on the PS3, that was in that kind of uh, VR window. It would have been huge on that. I don't know. It's I don't think developers are going to rely on it because it's, you know, the, the benefits of a fixed platform console are that you can actually target a specific performance level. And, you know, 
you you should be aiming for your render budgets, I think. What what do you make of this, Alex? You say that, but then Elden Ring comes out. I don't know. Um, I think it really does. I don't think it's ever going to be a crutch, but it's going to be the the black magic that you're going to want in those moments for when there's developers who have very different priorities uh, shipping a game. And then it comes out in a technical state that you're not very happy with in a vSync presentation, which is, you know, it will happen in the future again, for sure. Uh, Elden Ring won't be the last case. Uh, I, I'm just, you know, I think I'm, I would see more use of it in that high frame rate uh, uh, mode territory that Rich talked about. Because I can see Judder, like when you're panning a camera at 120 hertz. Um, it's definitely not as egregious as like a game that's just like 52 FPS all the time, um, but you can see it. And it will def- this is exactly what it's for, and it's perfect for that. And that's where I would probably use it on a console. Uh, to get to the second question here, though, I honestly have no idea why it took so long for VRR to come out on PlayStation 5. It still hasn't. <laughs> it's just, it's well, just, sorry. It's it, just mooted. I have no idea why it's not there. Um, so it, you I know, think we, we need only look at Sony's TV division for like an understanding that they just didn't know how to do these HDMI 2.1 features well. Like their TVs that year, especially, they did, not only did they not do VRR, they barely did 4K 120 correctly. Uh, there was a ton of issues with this stuff, and it seems like they're just late to that party. Whereas Microsoft did the smart thing and teamed up with LG from the beginning, which is one of the only TV manufacturers that had done that right at the time uh, and ensured that the Xbox was well-suited to that display, which ended up being basically the HDMI 2.1 standard. Yeah, I think the other thing we got to talk about with Microsoft is that um, they implemented VR on Xbox One. And that is actually really important because without a mainstream device out there for um, TV manufacturers to work with, it's quite difficult for them to implement these features. So this was quite a a welcome sort of long-term strategy that Microsoft had um, with TV manufacturers, LG Formunks among among them, uh, that have basically brought about this really good feature. And um, Sony weren't chasing that as aggressively for whatever reason. But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's coming, and that's brilliant. I still think that VRR is most useful on the PC. It's the specific place where it means you don't have to worry as much about... Like, the problem I would run into is you load up a game, everything's smooth, and then 10 minutes later, you get to an area that can't hold the frame rate that you were targeting. And you're like, all right, back to the settings, turn things down, dial it in, and then it happens again. Those little slowdown pockets always drove me nuts. With VRR on the PC, you basically don't have to worry about that anymore. You just let the frame rate run wild, you turn up what you want, and as long as you're, you know, usually above a certain threshold, it's fine. And you can just kind of ignore it. And that has been an absolute game changer. Yeah, it's because PC isn't a fixed platform. Your GPU might not have the ability to lock to 60. So, you know, fluctuating 50 to 60 is perfect. Even if you're using a powerful GPU, it allows you to crank stuff up because you can sort of handle those dips more because it's sort of masked with the VRR. You were saying like Cyberpunk uh, maxed is one of those ones where there's like areas that are like 60, but then there's other areas that are like high 40s. Exactly. So I was playing that game with all those settings cranked up because, you know, those heavy areas, you can mitigate it with VRR and it was great. Okay, interesting stuff. So next question, another one for you here, John from Axma. John, (laughs) Jurassic Park, Trespasser, DF, so when... It's been teased here and there for a couple of years now, and I'd love to see it being tackled now that 
retrospect reviews have been more favorable to the game. On a similar note, how about videos about genuinely bad games with impressive new tech for their time for next year's April Fool's video? Like, for example, Dice's Shrek game. Yes, that Dice. Uh, yeah, I've always wanted to do something on this because I actually did like Trespasser back in the day. Believe it or not. Uh, could could think, your PC run it? Yeah, not well. Okay. But <laughs> I, I thought it was really interesting and imaginative and it was doing some cool stuff that I'd never seen before even though it was obviously deeply flawed. Uh, I thought for, you know, the physics stuff, like the fact that your arm was physicalized in the world, like, again, the combat was very sloppy for sure. But this idea that like a dinosaur could come up and essentially bump into your hand, holding the weapon while you're trying to aim and knock your weapon out of your hand. Like the, the concept of that I found really interesting and engaging because it created these like almost like survival horror like sequences where you're like, you could barely pull off what you're trying to do. You know, you're trying to jump across these things. It's hard to do it. You fall, your weapon falls, you pick it up. The dinosaur comes over, you know, he bumps your hand. It sounds frustrating, but it was actually very tense and interesting. And I like that. I would like to cover it, especially if I can find a way to ever talk to Seamus Blackley about it. I need to convince him to to join me on that because I think that would be cool. This thing about new tech in bad games uh, reference to Dice's Shrek, which I believe on Xbox, OG Xbox, was one of the first, if not the first game to use deferred re rendering. I th yeah, yeah, it is. It's definitely one okay. of the first, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any uh, other titles that spring to mind? I we'd have to research that one, I think. Wow, that's... Oh, there's probably a good couple, but I I can't really think of any off yeah, the top of my head. Yeah, off the top of my head, that's the cuff. That's, I mean, off the cuff is a little harder, yeah. That is the classic example there. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, Jonathan Dirks, could variable rate shading replace dynamic resolution scaling? Could the thresholds where VRS start rendering in 1x2 blocks and 2x2 blocks be changed dynamically? I feel this might be a better way because you would stick to the native pixel grid. Um, at the moment, we're seeing both technologies deployed together. And uh, I think the best example I've seen is uh, Call of Duty Vanguard, which has a really, really good software VRS solution. I spoke to uh, Infinity Ward's tech director about that. And they do actually um, rely more on VRS uh, than they do on DRS. So on PlayStation 5 in particular and Xbox Series X, um, they actually had a rebalancing between DRS and VRS, uh, where they leaned more into VRS. And most of the game actually seems to run at native uh, 2160p, but with you know, VRS artifacts, which are quite difficult to see. So I think there is definitely a discussion to be had there, and we've got a, a good example of how that works. Um, but I honestly think, well, I mean, here's the thing, right? VRS only addresses some pixels. There's going to be scenarios where, um, you won't get much of a performance saving. Whereas with dynamic resolution scaling, it affects all pixels where you will get that performance saving. So it's it's tricky, but I really liked what they did in Vanguard. I don't know if you've got anything to add to that. I see that as like one of the ways forward. Um, definitely where VRS is, you know, it's, it's not as, it has its usage for bringing down just the general GP load in all scenes. Uh, but I do like the idea of employing it dynamically much more because there are definitely scenes where it's not needed and it could clean up some textures if you have it off for some pixels, um, which I would vastly prefer than just having it always be on and static. 
but at the same time, you know, that requires a little bit more research into VRS uh, because I still, I would imagine even the way it's done in Call of Duty probably could be even done in a more holistic and better way, fashion over time, because it's not just about like having VRS being active, but also having it interact really well with TAA and uh, upscaling, TAA upscaling, which is the one thing I feel like the research is still like I watched the recent uh, Microsoft things and I really enjoyed the the presentations, but I felt like there was still a little bit of the glossing over about how VRS can tie really well in temp into temporal upsampling uh, to make it so that VRS errors are hidden uh, in a much better fashion. Uh, that was one thing I'm still feel like is missing, and it's why dynamic res is probably in the next future. Uh, going to be employed more often instead of a dynamic VRS because it's still like an open research question. It, it requires iteration and time. Uh, so I love this idea, but I still think it requires a bit like the industry needs to shift gears away from DRS to VRS for this to become more real. I did have a pretty in-depth presentation on what Vanguard is doing. There's some really interesting stuff in there. Uh, for example, they have an area where in the center of the screen near the site, um, they don't employ VRS at all. They want to keep that as pure as possible, you know, without VRS artifacts. That wasn't in the beta that you might have played, but it was added for the final game. There's a lot of really interesting techniques being done there. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely very early on. There are caveats, as we like to say. Um, next question. I think this one's going to be quite easy from Todd Weitzel. If my GeForce 1070 Ti dies, what do I get to replace it in this hellscape? <laughs> Assume a five hundred dollar ish budget. Uh, well, I don't know, know what that means. Uh, well, I'm assuming that he's not happy with the fact that it's very difficult to buy a GPU. Although uh, it's getting a lot easier, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, in a world where it is actually not beyond the realms of possibility to get, you know, an NVIDIA Founders Card at MSRP, I mean, it's still difficult. Uh, five hundred gets you thirty sixty Ti, which I think is a pretty awesome card. Um, very good performance overall, great ray tracing, has DLSS, will have direct storage hardware support. Uh, looks pretty good. That would be my pick. There are AMD alternatives. I think the closest one would be 6700 XT. The XT? Yeah. Um, Is it okay? I don't I'd, know st I'd still take the 3060 Ti with the DLSS stuff, to be honest. Why yeah, go for one um, card though when you can splash out like a king and he could get like dual fury x's and crossfire <laughs> yeah just <laughs> scroll through ebay get two fury x's and crossfire and then lament that amd doesn't actually support it in the driver anymore i have no idea <laughs> you've got a special place in your heart for the fury x I, it's tell. such a it's such a funny card <laughs> yeah yeah uh, fury okay. x <laughs> um Yes, <laughs> just so many, <laughs> so many sudden rushes of memory about the Fury X. Ah, uh, yes, the Fury X. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was okay at the time, but it just wasn't as good as a 980 Ti, and um, that that was the problem, right? And then there was the whole overclocker's dream stuff, and I couldn't get an extra fifty hertz megahertz out of it. Uh, thankfully, AMD are in a much better place these days. <laughs> okay, final question. Uh, is there ever, this one's from Gatti, is there ever a conflict about who gets to review a certain game? Well, 
from my perspective, it always seems to be a conflict about who doesn't want to support certain <laughs> games. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go to you on this one, John. I mean, that, that's exactly right. I mean, <laughs> I think each of us have kind of our own tastes that it's usually pretty obvious, like who wants to cover what. Uh, it's, so it's not like we're like fighting over like who gets to do it, but it is definitely a case where it's like, all right, there's a big game coming out that none of us like, or none of us care about who's going to cover it. Uh, there was one very recently that came out that one of, uh, somebody else on the team had to cover. I think you know what it is. And like, it's like kryptonite to, to us, but he stepped up and was like, I'll do it. Yeah, but he quite liked it. I mean, we are talking about Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was there was no enthusiasm to uh, assess the game from anybody whatsoever. You like uh, like so? Who wants to cover this? Silence. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, credit to Tom. He he grasped the nettle and he ended up liking the game. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. He actually it it actually seems like an all right game in the end, and I I Tom did enjoy it at least so. Uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, and there's always this scenario where we get you to do a console game, Alex. It has its rare moments. Uh, you get your returnals every, I don't know, two years or something like that, uh, where I actually go like, yeah, this is a good game. I really like this. You know. But you weren't enthusiastic about doing that, were you? It was, it was a game that converted you. It had the most, yeah, that's the thing. Is like when you're playing a game, it's, that's probably something maybe we should just really quickly mention, but when you're... It is actually hard at some times when you're uh, doing a technical review to separate your uh, subjective view of the game's gameplay from the technical reviewing aspects because it can actually, and like, you know, it's something that you just have to struggle with internally where if you just have to like load up a section of the game that you dread, like, I don't know, John, I don't know how many times John has played uh, you know, that Tomb Raider game and like the Rise intro the or going Raider. into geo yeah, the they're going to Geothermal Valley and, you know, running the paces and I mean, all these things. I liked that game, but yeah. But do you like it anymore now? Uh, I don't know. It's hard like, to go back to now. It's just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, you know, so like these are things that you like struggle with. Um, but it's so rare that we are fighting over a game. I think maybe the last time we had like a slight discussion and the, the, the outcome was uh, was really good anyways, was like Cyberpunk's coming out. John and I were both really interested in it. Uh, but then like the, the game itself was so large and had such a following that we could make multiple videos covering the PC version and the console version. So it wasn't that big of a deal in the end. We that all kind of like took our own time. little like, corner yeah. of Cyberpunk yeah, so and like, divided it up and it worked out. Mm -hmm. I'm just uh, going back to the question. I'm loving the, the, the conflict thing. This just brings about images of uh, Thunderdome. Uh, two, 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 man, two men enter, one man leaves. And I guess that makes me Tina Turner. I, f I feel like what we really need to do is have like, if this happens and we don't want to cover a game, we should settle it with a quake death match and film oh, it. Oh gosh, and film it. <laughs> this yeah, sounds like it. a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's it that's the end of the show thanks for watching and supporting Digital Foundry uh, hopefully normal service will resume news wise next week but you know I'm looking at the time counter here I'm kind of amazed that we managed to uh, get a show out How of this one how did we do this yeah. so yeah thanks so much for joining me on this one John and Alex and yeah DF supports program if you want to get involved join the community get some questions in uh, talk to us on discord see a bunch a whole bunch of bonus material it's pretty awesome 
And uh, yes, DF Direct Weekly will be back next week, hence the name. Thanks for watching.